We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. This morning we're talking about vision. At the end of the message, Ann Gleaton is going to come and give us a report on missions from last year, where we're at this year. The whole point of this message today is to challenge us to see things as God sees them. You know, when we've been talking about vision, you can have all kinds of opinions. You can find uh, books written about it, people telling you how to develop a vision, how to cast that vision. But the thing I want you to understand is the church is not like the business world. The church is an entity unto God. It's a spiritual being. Now, that doesn't mean that we're lax in our practices when it comes to the finances and that business portion of the church. No, we follow and adhere to those rules. But what it means is there's a vast difference between the church of Jesus Christ and the gas station down on the corner or the retail store downtown. And that difference is we live by faith. We believe that God orders our steps and directs our paths. We believe that the primary reason we exist is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we begin talking about vision, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about my vision or your vision. I'm talking about aligning our priorities with the priority of Jesus Christ. Understanding that that's God's desire above all else is that we might be able to glorify Him through the way we walk out this thing called Christianity. So look with me to Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. And we're going to talk about vision as Jesus sees it. Then he turned to the host. Now the context is that Jesus is in the house of one of the Pharisees, a wealthy, rich, powerful man. He went over for dinner, and in that house there was a man who had swollen joints. The King James says dropsy. Kind of like rheumatoid arthritis, you know, it's destroying his life. Jesus looks at those in the house and he said, is it lawful or is it okay to heal on the Sabbath day? Because he knew the accusations that were against him. And then he went ahead and healed the man. And that takes us then to our text. Then he turned to the host. The next time you put on a dinner, and don't, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors the kind of people who will return the favor. But rather invite some people who never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. Verse 14. You'll be and experience a blessing. Not only will you be a blessing, but Jesus says you too will experience a blessing. Kind of like given it shall be given unto you, right? Kind of like it's more blessed to give than to receive. He said, you'll be and experience a blessing. There won't, they won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. That triggered a response from one of the guests. How fortunate the one who gets to eat dinner in the kingdom of God. Jesus followed up. Yes, for there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent his servant to the invited guest, saying, Come on in, the food's on the table. Then they all began to beg off, one after another, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and need to look it over. Send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen. I need to try them out. Send my regrets. 
Another said, I just got married and need to get home to my wife. The servant went back and told the master what had happened, and he was outraged and told the servant, quickly get into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits, all the homeless, all the wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant, servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded and there's still room. Then the master said, go to the country roads, wherever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. And let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite of my dinner. Father, thank you today for this story, parable, that Jesus illustrates his desire and your desire to reach every person, that none be lost. Help us to see and understand his vision is that none be lost. He instructs us to compel them to come in. Let us grab that today and make it a part of our DNA as believers in the kingdom of God. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So this morning, as we're talking about vision, I want you to understand that the primary reason you and I are here, the primary reason we exist, is for those who are not here yet. And I say yet. Look around you, there's plenty of room in this sanctuary. There's room for a lot of folks to join us and become a part of what the kingdom of God is all about. But so many times we pervert that and we think we're here to please us. We're here to make us happy. We're here so that we can worship in peace and worship in comfort. Oh, come on, folks. It's not about me and you. It's about those who are not yet here. It's about those who are lost and need to experience the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are compelled, the Bible says, to bring them in, compel them to come to Jesus Christ. It's not our job, and I mean all of us collectively, Our job to keep church people happy. It's our job to reach those who are not here yet. To compel them to come in. So let's think about this for just a moment. Let me ask you a question. And then I'm going to define it for you. Who are the lost? We use that word lost in many, many different ways. To be lost means you could have misplaced something. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with the item. It's in good working order. You just can't remember where you put it. You misplaced something. The older we get, the more that happens, right? We misplaced something. It's lost. Or we can say, he lost his life savings in the crash of the stock market. Now, that doesn't mean he replaced it. It means it's gone forever and will never come back. Or we can hear those dreaded words from a surgeon who's been working on our family member who was just in an automobile accident. He comes out and he says, I'm sorry. We did all we could do, but we lost her. That's a whole different connotation. It means she died. Or we can go read a list of names of individuals who perished in a shipwreck, who were lost at sea. Doesn't mean they're misplaced. It means they're at the bottom of the ocean. You'll never see them again. So when we look at lost in the New Testament... There's a Greek word that's translated 12 times as lost, and it means basically the same very thing. Let me read it to you in Luke 15, 24. Talking about the parable of the prodigal son. The father in the parable of the prodigal son says these words, For this my son was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So in that definition, we see lost is a parallel word with dead. That death and lost are the same thing in that parable. Jesus knew what he was saying when he used those words in that particular parable. Because earlier in Luke chapter 9, Jesus had said, let the dead bury their dead. Let the lost take care of the lost, is what he's saying in that passage. And he went on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, the apostle Paul wrote it this way, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive. So the lost are dead by New Testament definition. Spiritually dead, unresponsive to God. Luke, Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So when we read that, we understand that lost folks don't just need finding, lost folks need saving. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? It's not a religious duty or religious exercise, but it's coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So Jesus came not just to find people, but to save people. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel said to Joseph, Jesus' father, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So from all these scriptures, we see that the lost are dead in their sins. And they need someone to save them as only Jesus can do. What did Peter say in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 as he preaches to that crowd after the lame man had been healed? He said in that verse, There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There is only one way, only one route, only one avenue, only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, in John 17, 12, Jesus says, praying in a prayer to the Father, he says, I guarded them, referring to the disciples, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now we understand he's talking about Judas. Judas was lost. He turned his back on Jesus. He rejected the principles of the kingdom of God, and he sold him for 30 pieces of silver. When he says he is lost, he means he's ruined, and he's on the road to destruction. So we understand from all these writings, the lost are dead in their sins. Paul went on to say it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.14, that the lost do not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Their foolishness to him and he cannot understand them. That's absolutely true, even yet today. Anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is lost. They're dead in their sins. The gospel makes no sense. It's foolishness to him until God warms the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and sparks the faith that is already implanted there into believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him... We're lost. Our lostness and our deadness are there because we choose to reject Jesus Christ or we choose to accept Jesus Christ. The only remedy for our lostness, our deadness spiritually, is for the Savior to come into our life and breathe life into our spirit. All human beings, I'm saying this broadly, I'm saying this generally, and I want you to understand it. All human beings who were without Christ, 
according to 2 Thessalonians 1.9, pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That's a horrific picture of most of the people in our city. Most of the people in our world are lost, unknowing of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have been given a challenge, and that challenge is to take the message of Jesus Christ into all the world. Our vision should be the same as his vision, and that vision is so that all men may see Jesus. Why did Jesus come? What was his purpose? What was his vision in becoming man? That all may be saved, that he become the road to salvation, the gateway to eternal life. So when I think about lost and what it really means, it kind of sobers me, to be honest. And it should you as well. Because it means we have a high heavenly calling upon our life. We have a mission set before us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you realize when we talk about the fact that we've been entrusted with the message that brings the dead to life, that brings light in the darkness, that brings transformation, when we realize we've been entrusted with that kind of a message, then we have to say, wow, God, that's amazing. Because you're asking us to do what we can't do. You're asking us to do what only you as God can do. Open the eyes of the blind. Raise the dead. Jesus said, awaken faith. Bring eternal life is the reason and the purpose for the church to exist. Not so we could have great worship. Not so we could have great fellowship. Although that's all a part of it. But the primary reason we exist, the first stream in our vision, is to reach the lost. To do what we cannot do through the power of God flowing in us and through us. I don't have the ability to raise the dead. I don't have the ability to open blinded eyes. I don't have the power to turn men from darkness to life. I don't have the power to bring transformation. But the good news is, I serve a God who does. And when I yield to His vision, when I get in line with what He wants to do, He somehow, and I don't understand it, but somehow, He flows through me to accomplish His will and His purposes. And the lost are not only found, but they're saved. Lives are transformed. Think about it. Jesus told the disciples getting into the kingdom of God was just like a camel going through the eye of a needle. If you know your biblical history, it's talking about a mountain pass, not the eye of a sewing needle, okay? So get that straight in your mind. That's not what it means. But he's saying it's very difficult. And the disciples said, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. Oh, hear me. With men, it's impossible. But with God, say it with me, all things are possible. Hallelujah. The lost are found, not because of us, but because we serve the God of the impossible. And His declared, revealed vision and will is to bring the lost to Jesus Christ. To bring them to the saving knowledge of a Savior. So let me put it to you this way this morning. You've been called to do the impossible. It's not just my work or Pastor Mike's work or Pastor Daniel's work. It's our work. We have all been called to do the impossible. And when we reach those with Jesus Christ, when we see those turn from deadness to life, when we see blind eyes open, when we see dead people raised, do you know what happens? God is glorified because we can't do it, but he can do it through us. 
He's called us to do the impossible. Matter of fact, look around you today. Take just a moment. Look to your right, look to your left, look in front of you. Turn around, look behind you. Everyone in this room who calls Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior is nothing but a walking miracle. Because before you met him, you were dead men walking. But now that you know him, the life of the sun flows through you. And the light of life is a part of your being. Oh, come on, you're a testimony to the grace and the mercy and the glory of God. And God wants to use you outside of the realms of human possibility. See, too many times we bring the church down to this little ball that we can handle, that we can control, that we can make happen. And that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to put ourselves in places where only He can show up and do something mighty, and then men will say, look at the God you serve. Come on, church, hear me. We live lives way too tame in the church today. It's time to get wild for Jesus and to determine that I will be that individual who God uses to bring light to darkness, life to deadness, to open blinded eyes and see transformation in the hearts and the lives of men and women. And when I do, because I can't humanly do that, God will get the glory. God will get the honor. Look at one key passage of Scripture that reinforces what I'm saying to you, that we are called to reach the lost, that we are called to give life to the dead and sight to the blind. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. It'll be on the screen. Peter writes these words, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Not of a perishable seed, but imperishable. Through the living, abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, and the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Look at verse 22. It says that you responded in obedience to the truth. And that response to obedience to the truth leads us to brotherly love. So you see, friend, it's not a matter of being able to love someone in Christ. You can't outside of obeying the word of truth. It's absolutely impossible. Impossible to know that kind of love. And then we understand, as Peter outlines this, that the connection that moves us from brotherly love to what God wants us to do is faith. It's connection with Christ who purifies our hearts and makes us like him. So the point of that verse is that those who believe the gospel, their hearts have been cleansed from sin, and as a result of that, they're in a position to love other people into the kingdom of God. Now, how did Jesus do that? He did that by, for God so loved the world, that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He did that by God committed this love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what the scripture is saying is when you and I are born again, everybody understands that's the term for getting saved, right? Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. We have to be born again. Because when we're born in this flesh, in this body, when your mother gave you birth, you were born into sin. You were born for death and destruction. You were born bound for hell. 
But Jesus Christ came, gave his life on Calvary, rose again the third day so that you and me could be born again. Born in newness of life. Born loving one another. What he's saying is our hearts have been cleansed, and as a result, we have the ability to love people into the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot of ways that we can bring people to the kingdom. We can do outreaches. We can do personal evangelism. We can do revivals and tent crusades. We can do dramas. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But let me tell you, the most powerful way to bring somebody into the kingdom of God is by loving them into the presence of Jesus. Not condemning them, not showing them how bad they are, not criticizing them, but by loving them into the presence of Jesus. Amy, I couldn't hear everything you were saying in the offering, but I assume you told the story of Maricel's niece. No, you didn't. Well, I'm going to tell that story. All right. All of you know Marisol Martinez, right? All right, Marisol was here in January. She's a wonderful lady. But two years ago, in a meeting where we were with Marisol, she began to tell Amy about her niece who was addicted to heroin. Had been for years, living on the streets. And so Amy began praying for her. We began praying for her. And then just a few months ago, this niece, addicted to heroin, submitted, agreed to go into a Teen Challenge Center to be dried out, get her life back on track. So she had been in Teen Challenge two months, correct? If I'm, yeah, for two months. And God radically revolutionized her life. And this Teen Challenge Center was going to South America to do an outreach, to do some building and reach people for Jesus. And they needed an interpreter to go with them. Just so happens, this little girl is Hispanic. She speaks Spanish. So they asked her if she would go with them. The only problem is she had to raise a significant amount of money. She has no job. She's in Tim Challenge. Her family has no money because of her past and her background. So when Marisol was here on January the 20th, we received a love offering for her. Remember that? And we gave it to her, sent it to her. On the day she received it, she learned about the niece's need for funds to go to South America to work as an interpreter for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Marisol took the money that we gave her, sent it directly to that niece so that her way was paid. What is that about? That's about loving people into the kingdom of God. Oh, come on, somebody. That ought to make you shout. That ought to make you rejoice. This is what Peter is talking about, loving people into the kingdom of God, finding ways for people to see the love of God through you and me. And that's what the lost desperately need to see. How did it come about? Well, people are dead and they're blind to the reality of the gospel. Hence, they're lost. Verse 23 of that passage from 1 Peter says, since you have been born again. Literally, if you read it literally, it says, having been born again. The new birth is what happened in verse 22 because of the love of God. And that love of God enables them to be born again. And then that enables those who are born again to love somebody else. See, we need to understand everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has been born of God. You can find that in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has been born of God. So this is what the lost, this is what the dead, this is what the blind in our city desperately need to see, hear, and understand. It's what you need because God enabled you to be born again to share the love of Jesus Christ. So what's our role in this whole equation? 
Our role is to remember we exist for those who are not yet here. So when you're at the gas pump, maybe there's somebody on the other side who needs help. Maybe you remember the story of Julie when I was on the Hoka Hay. How that Julie pulled up to a gas pump. She had no money to pay for her gas. Her credit card wouldn't work. Her face was bruised and bloody from being beaten the night before. Two little kids in the back seat, no food for them. But I just happened to be there, and God just happened to allow me to love on them, to fill her car with gas, to give her $100 in cash, to buy them food so she could escape where she was at and receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. Now, by itself, that's a great story. But the better part of the story is right there at that gas pump somewhere in Nevada, she bowed her head and asked Jesus Christ to come into her life so that the love of God shed abroad visited her as well. Oh, come on, somebody. That's what it's about. We live looking for an opportunity to reach those who are not yet here. That's our responsibility. That's our role. So many times today we get caught up in stuff that just flat doesn't matter. We involve ourselves in discussions and in arguments and theological equations that have no root in reality. Matter of fact, so many times we are so busy arguing why that person can't be saved or that person will never be saved, we forget the gift is to all men. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter how they're living right now. The point is, when you're born again, change occurs. You know, for years, the church has fought with people about tendencies towards sin. They fought with people saying, well, homosexuality isn't a, a, a inbred, it's not a DNA thing, it's a sin thing. We say, well, gender identity and changing identity, it's not, it's not a DNA thing, it's a sin thing. We talk about addictive behavior and throw it in the same category. Can I tell you something? Every one of those behaviors that are important to God were birthed in sin. All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So yeah, it really is a birth thing. It really is something that came with them. I understand influences and environment influence those types of behavior. But what we need to understand is the only remedy is not a treatment center. It's not counseling. The remedy for sin is a Savior whose name is Jesus Christ. Sin is the DNA of every one of us when we enter this world. All men are sinners. And there's only one way out of it. That's through Jesus Christ. What did he say to Nicodemus? Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. What did Peter say? You can love one another because you were born again. It all goes back to that experience of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you're born again, you're born into a destiny. You're born into a hope. You're born into a future that God already has laid out for you. And it's a future of promise and wonderful things in your life. You're born again to a family who loves you and cares for you when you're born again. Heads about and eyes are closed. We are here. We exist for those who are not here yet. Yet. Father, in your name right now, minister life in this room. Minister love in this room. I pray for the one in this room this morning who has never been born again. I pray that you'd speak into their heart and speak into their life and remind them you're here for them. You died to save them. You came to pull them out of the quagmire of their sin 
and you want to change their lives. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. There's nobody looking around. I just prayed for you, for you. That's you this morning. Would you lift your hand and say, pray for me again, Pastor? I need to be born again. I need to be born again. So wait just a second. Is there anyone? Yes, anyone else? Is wait just a moment. I need to be born again. I need to be born again. Pray this prayer with me across this room this morning, would you please? And the one that raised your hand, pray this prayer and then see me after service. I want to speak into your life today. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I can't save myself. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive my sin. Transform me. I confess you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in faith, Jesus Christ is forgiving you, cleansing you, transforming and changing you right now. So just receive Him and allow Him to do great things within you. Amen? Amen. Ann Gleaton is coming at this time to talk to us about missions. As she comes, I want to challenge you to remember everything she's going to say reinforces the fact that we are here for those who are not here yet. So would you welcome Ann, our missions director, this morning. Good morning. I have been looking forward to this day for several weeks, and Jessica has been wonderful to help me prepare a PowerPoint, and Sadie was wonderful to help prepare something you found in your insert that I'll discuss in just a moment. But I want to share with you, during this Missions Moment review and update, just how wonderful you have allowed the love of God to pour through you when you give your tithes and when you give your missions offering, you are touching thousands and thousands of people. And that's what I want to help you grab hold of. How important you are to the kingdom and to advancing the kingdom and sharing the love of Christ. Do you know that all of your mission offering from last year came right under $40,000. That doesn't, yes, that doesn't even include all the special offerings. You know how we have different guest speakers, different Sundays throughout the year, missionaries coming. That totaled $26,000. You put the two together and we're well over $66,000. Isn't that awesome? Wow. And so I want to show you how precious all your efforts are. And you see, when you go to work every day, you're going to work for the kingdom because you give unto the Lord. You give a tithe. You give an offering. And so you are going every day for kingdom purposes. Can you grab that? Doesn't that put fire in your bones to, yes, I'm going to work today for kingdom purposes. Yes, because you touch people every day that others of us don't touch. But God has placed you there for a special purpose. Even in your classroom, you have a purpose. You have a teacher to love on and children and others to get to know and share the love of Christ. So let's go to the next one, please. 
I want to share with you how wonderful you were during Christmas in the gifting time. We have families touching families where many of you came together giving gifts to families within Christian heritage that needed support, love support and financial support. And then some of you were asked and, and wonderfully did it, you delivered the gifts to these families. And as you gave, you received gratitude and warmth on behalf of Christian heritage. So I thank you that 48 individuals within 16 families received your community. You're living together. And when they were in your homes, you helped them get to know you even better. And that's what I call the overflow. Next. Well, moving beyond Christian heritage, we go into the community we call Tallahassee. And there are six different ministries that we sponsor and serve in a variety of ways. The first one that I'm mentioning is Good Samaritan Network. Well, you know we have our wonderful uh, Glenn and Beth Burns and others of Good Samaritan that are a part of our membership here. They build bridges between people and the Lord. They help people be redeemed, rescue, restored, and find their path, their God-given call in life. The next one is Tallahassee Christian College and Training Center because they recognize that everything we do impacts another. And that's just what Pastor said. We have an influence every day Cal and I, when we pray in the morning, we say, thank you, Lord, for giving us another day here on the earth for kingdom purposes. So we thank Tallahassee Christian College for extending the ministry of the local church and building relationships. The next one that we sponsor is the Phi Center, Pregnancy Help and Information Center. They assist mothers and fathers during the pregnancy time and then even after delivery. And everything they do is free. Regardless of the ability to pay, everything is free. Then our Chi Alpha Campus Ministry is helping restore and rejuvenate people's relationship with Christ giving them opportunities for fellowship and worship and transforming our campuses and then the world. Our other community partner is Teen Challenge. Amy and Mike Correa have just come from serving at Teen Challenge and they have new direct, uh, directors, the Malcolroys. Is that how you say it? Malcolm, okay. And uh, they offer for um, young men, and then another campus might help young women, as we just heard, to come out of the uh, drug addictions or, or life-controlling situations and give them a year of, of recuperation and restoration so that they come out and are successful in their future. And then we have the Woodlands Camp. Camp stands for Compulsive Addiction Mending Program. And Larry Scoma is a director, and he leads the men in the changing from the inside out. And their lives are transformed. And one thing I wanted to take special mention of is they just opened a little eatery down by Movies 8 called the Hidden Garden Eatery. And Cal and I stopped in on Friday, said hello to Larry. They were getting everything 
um, prepared. They are open from Monday through Friday, 11 to 3. So please stop there. They love for Bible studies to come or little meetings that you want to have and have a great lunch there. Moving on, then we go to our states. M25 is directed by Gary and Carolyn Bird, and that's based on the scripture. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it for me. It is a national ministry for the overlooked, the lost, the dejected, the hurting in today's society. They do several things throughout their year. One is the 50cc, that is... um, riding on their bikers uh, from coast to coast in 50 hours, collecting diapers and wipes to support the Falcon Children's Home that we'll see in just a minute that Marisol was very much a part of. They also minister to the veterans, those who have served, and also they call us to account for the missing in action, the POWs, those that lost family members, in wars, and then for the current veterans, just to let them know we appreciate their sacrifice. Then we talk about the um, Falcon Children's Home, and that was um, a a, um, ministry that Marisol has been involved in in several years, and she was here in January, if you'll remember. But it's located in Falcon, North Carolina. It is IPHC... um, related and and, uh, overseen. It provides a safe place for children. They do have residential care for children that are in need. Also, it's a place for young mothers who um, need support during their pregnancy and then following that. Then we move on to Central America. Dan and Brenda Clowers have been serving uh, for over 30 years as missionaries, and they helped our team uh, go to, with their Costa Rica trip in October of 2016, and they were also very instrumental in our trip in 2011 when we went to Uruguay, and that was a fantastic trip. Now they are working uh, very specifically in El Salvador. Also, Kid Power Children um, help support a young boy named Zachary Ambrose. And he lives with his parents and uh, loves playing soccer and doing math. And do you know what his main chore is? Collecting water. And we're going to talk about water in just a few minutes. So please pray for Zachary because he really wants to do well in school. Then we go on to Peru, David and Marilyn Deaton. And they are Floridians, but are serving in Peru in leadership development and training. And they work closely with David and Cisse Hodges. And both couples were very instrumental in helping our Peru team be successful in March of last year. And then you'll recall that uh, Pastor Steve and Yvonne uh, joined them for a pastor's conference last April. Also in Peru, uh, serving with the Deatons are David Hodges, that Amy just spoke about, and that's David in the picture, and his wife, Ceci, and their three boys. And you'll see also in that picture, Bill um, Agner was preaching, and David was his interpreter. But they opened up um, a a church and a missions compound in Jaicamarca. I'm hoping I said it right. Is that right? 
um, where the mission team traveled to last year about this time. Then moving ahead across the water, we have Bill and Gretchen Schwartz, who have been serving as missionaries since 2002. They began with a church plant in Reims, Belgium, and just recently um, opened a church in Antwerp. When our um, mission team was there in 2014, we traveled to Antwerp, which is due north of Brussels, where um, the Schwartz live. There is a widely, widely accepted human trafficking operation in Antwerp. And it's very difficult for the young women to break out of it. Yet, they are working with a ministry called Breaking Chains to help get the women set free, in many ways set free from the human trafficking. So please continue to pray for the Schwartz as they work in Antwerp. Then we have uh, in the continent of Africa uh, some missionaries in Kenya. Do you remember Jamie and Jessica Dunning? They asked for support last, um, I believe it was May, when an area in the Tana River Delta was flooded and y'all responded again and helped send supplies. Well, they are still uh, working as coordinators for people-to-people ministries in Kenya and Ethiopia, and they want to help different villages become self-sustaining so that they're not so susceptible to drought, to famine, etc. They're helping them fulfill their purpose. And I'll tell you a little bit more about them in a few minutes. But I just want to also to save the date on June 23rd because the Dunnings will be here in person. Also, we had uh, Kevin and Summer Sneed here in our church in December of last year. They also serve in Kenya, whereas the Dunnings live in Nairobi. Uh, the Sneeds live in Eldoret. Now, if you recognize, y'all are supporting all of these people and all of this work whenever you give to missions these are these are people that you are supporting they have served for 10 years and a summer is the director of the girls ministries in east africa and then kevin is the director of the east africa bible college and not only do they teach uh, theology and relationship with the Lord Jesus, but they're also helping the different people learn skills of development, of income-producing opportunities. And Pastor Yvonne will be going to Nairobi, Kenya in April to work with Carolyn Bird and her group ministering to over 200 children. So please keep that trip in April uh, in your prayers. Then, right to the north of Kenya is South Sudan, where the McClurkins serve. Glenn and Latoya McClurkin and their two boys serve near the city of Kepeta. And he is the director and oversees the Hope for Sudan compound that has a church and a missions and training also there. And you'll remember, children, do you remember two years ago during your summer, you raised money to repair a well? You raised over $750 to repair a well in um, South Sudan. And so they didn't have to drink dirty water. Remember the bottle of dirty water? Yuck. 
they didn't have to drink dirty water because y'all were very helpful and uh, earning extra money for them. And you'll see them and their opportunities there. Moving on to India and West Nepal, our offering supports over a dozen missionaries that live in northern India and move in to West Nepal and continually share the hope of Jesus with those who have no hope. So we thank you for that support. Then our next um, missionary uh, couple that we have just added to our monthly support are Bruce and Becky McDonald, who have dedicated themselves for over 30 years to sharing the gospel in areas that few dare to go. And they're establishing churches in areas like the deserts of North Africa and the jungles of the Congo. These individuals, all of these missionaries and community partners, are living in the overflow. They want to share the hope, the saving knowledge, and the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. As you will find in your bulletin, or the source, you'll see a card. And we recognize today as also Faith Commitment Sunday, that we ask you to prayerfully consider, Lord, what would you have me do? What am I trusting you for? Enlarge my tent pegs. Increase my faith in this area that I may give more so the kingdom uh, and the, the reaching people with the gospel can be advanced. So I ask that you uh, can prayerfully consider it. You can um, ascent, give it to guest services or at the missions table or bring it back next Sunday and put it in the offering. But prayerfully consider because this year's monthly mission um, commitment is right at $4,000 a month. Y'all, all of us are supporting six community partners and 12 different missionaries across the nations. And that is that is awesome, I have to say. And I, I could give you a group hug, but that is awesome. Yes, it is. One more thing. As I referenced, that two years ago, we raised, with the help of many of the children, over $750 to repair a well. We were just made aware of in March that a um, village in the Tana River Delta needs a well. It doesn't even have a well. And we want to give it fresh, clean water so that they can grow crops, they can irrigate crops, they can have water to cook with, to drink with. We want to help them get that well. And so what we have for everyone is one of these as you leave today. And it says, thirsty for God's overflow. Now, yes, you can drink it, or you could put it on your desk, or your table, or a kitchen counter, somewhere where you see it every day. And think about that fresh water in the natural, but also God's well of living water that we want to help provide for our, um, would you show the last one? The thirsty for God's overflow? Thank you. That there are 74 individuals that live in this village, 
and just a few are Christians. But those Christians have a fire in their bones and a passion for the other individuals who are predominantly Muslim to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And wow, what an opportunity to have a, a well dug in that village. We don't know, but maybe, maybe there is a person in that village that was like that husband that said, okay, you can have the 50 and we'll just see if this God is real. Maybe there's a person in that village that said, well, if we get a well, if we get fresh water in this village, maybe then I'll think about believing in this God that you tell me about. I don't know, but it's possible. So I would like, when you all leave today, take a bottle of water. Children, you're going to be given. Mr. Cal and I have already started our box. And children, you're going to be given a people-to-people box. And children, I'm going to give you one of these little little notepads and would you keep a log of the extra things you get to do that's going to help earn money that helps you put your money in the box and parents you can help them earn that extra money also continue to pray please pray for all of these people that you have just seen represented in the slides and shall I close or would you like to okay thank you and, oh, and earmark your offering for this Thirsty for God's Overflow. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ann. Great job. Stand with me this morning, please. <clears throat> Take that Faith Promise card home. Pray about it. Ask the Lord to help you do what He wants you to do. Remember, He's assigned us to an impossible task. It can only be done through His presence and His power in our life. So I don't want you to do what you can do. I want you to do what God can do through you, which is significantly greater than anything you can do. It may be $10 a month. It may be $1,000 a month. It's not my job to tell you what to do. It's His. And then it's your job to obey. For it's in obedience we find the blessing. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence in our life. We thank you that you are truth, you are light, you are life. I pray that you send this congregation in the power of the Spirit of God. And because of the love that's in us that we've experienced through you, lives will be transformed and changed. We pray this in the name that's above every name. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.